I'm Mia McCarthy, a 2022 Mariah's Challenge scholarship winner, and here's what Mariah's Challenge means to me. It means staying true to myself and not giving in to peer pressure. It means saying no to drinking in high school and never getting into a vehicle with a driver who is impaired. It means setting a positive example for the generations that follow. It means growing old and helping others do the same. I'm Mia McCarthy, and I accept Mariah's Challenge. I hope you join me and show that you too are Butte tough. Today's podcast is presented by Lescovar Honda of Butte. Before we get the show started, I want to tell you a little bit about my Lescovar experience. Not that long ago, my wife and I were in the market for a safe and reliable Honda so we can have some peace of mind as our daughter goes out of town for college. We shopped around and shopped online, but we found nothing but cars with high mileage, high stickers, and no warranty at all. I thought Lescovars would be a little bit too expensive, but we stopped there anyway. To my surprise, we found a 2018 Honda Civic right away. The car had low miles and a reasonable sticker price. We talked to Mike Beckman and I asked, Hey, by chance, is there any kind of warranty on this car at all? I expected him to say, get out of here. Instead, he said, yeah, of course. 20 years, 200,000 miles. And I said, what? Get out of here. For a used car? Absolutely. A little later that afternoon, our daughter drove home with her new car and my wife and I have had peace of mind ever since. As we drove away, we looked at each other and said, why would we go anywhere else? The answer is, we won't. We're less of our customers for life. Lescovar Honda is now a proud sponsor of the Buttecast and the Athletes of the Week. Lescovar Honda, home of the 20-year, 200,000-mile warranty. Now, let's get the show started. Welcome to the Buttecast with Bill Foley. It's a podcast about the greatest city in the world, Butte America. Amen. Let's meet the people and characters who make Butte the richest hill on earth. Now, here's my dad, Bill Foley. Kathleen McLaughlin is making a bit of history. Well, kind of. The Butte journalist is the first person to be a guest on the Buttecast for the second time. She was my second guest back in September. She is again on today because I read her new book, Blood Money, The Story of Life, Death, and Profit Inside America's Blood Industry. Well, I didn't read the book. I listened to the audiobook, and it was really good. When I saw Kathleen was writing a book, I knew I would read it because she is quite possibly the best journalist to ever come out of the mining city. I knew it would be well written. When she told me what it was about, though... I wasn't really interested in the topic, but I listened to the audiobook anyway, and it was really good. The book is a great work of journalism, which is what I love about it. It highlights the economic inequality in the United States. One interesting aspect of the book is the internal struggle the author feels about the plasma industry. She clearly does not like that the for-profit industry takes advantage of people based on their economic status. It preys on poor people in a way. Also, she needs people to donate plasma so she can live. She suffers from a rare medical condition that she details in the book. It is also very brave of her to highlight her own illness because it could possibly hurt her own employment prospects in the future. I highly recommend Blood Money, and I cannot wait for her encore book. Listen to the audiobook on audible.com like I did, or better yet, go to a local bookstore and buy a copy. Buy it as a gift. Buy it for yourself. It is well worth it. It will also be well worth your time to listen to this podcast. Listen in as Kathleen discusses the book and all the hard work that went into it. 
Also, listen to her talk about the loss of Montana journalistic icon Chuck Johnson. She wrote a story in The Nation about Chuck. It came out Monday morning. Definitely read that. I'll post a link in the show notes. As always, thank you for supporting our sponsors. They are the ones who keep bringing these fun conversations coming. If you listen on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, be sure to subscribe to the podcast and leave a glowing review. I'd really appreciate that. Also, check out ButeCast.com where you can find my columns, the Athletes of the Week, and more. Today's column is about playing high school baseball in Montana and the people who don't think they should do that. Now, let's catch up with a journalist journalist, Kathleen McLaughlin. All right, you're the you're making history here. You're the first person to be on the podcast twice. Holy shit! Yeah, amazing. Kind of a big deal. What do I win? Well, I'd give you a t-shirt if I didn't <laughs> wasn't out of them. So I owe you a t-shirt. How about that? That's cool. Yeah. No. What a, what an honor. <laughs> now, what do you think of this Mike Hamblin's Studio Seven here in Walkerville? This might be the coolest place in Butte. Yeah, I figured you'd appreciate it. That's why yeah. I I had Walt here, and yeah. then I had uh, well Mike. So the three three times I've been here. It's a place you could spend the whole day just looking at stuff and finding new things. And I love the movies in the background. Yeah, this is the first time he's had movies. Usually he has Red Sox games on for me from the 70s. Oh, that's cool too, though. Yeah, he doesn't like watching the current ones. So if you, if you, if you never met Mike Hamlin, people who have never met him, they have to meet him because he's one of the most interesting men I've ever met. Yeah, definitely. And his brother is too. His brother's crazy. And you, live, you, had, the, you had the fortune or, or misfortune to live with Mark... In Missoula? He was a great roommate. He was lived he? on our couch for <laughs> um, probably six months. Yeah. yeah, he was a fantastic roommate. Yeah, I, I met him a lot at the, the Mo Club. Okay. I think that was probably when he lived there days. Yeah, he hung out at the Mo Actually, Club and maybe the Rhino, there. too. Yeah. Yeah. No, he, um, we were friends since the fifth grade. Yeah. Because you were an Alpole. That's what you, you <laughs> draw. That's what you were. Was it accelerate, accelerated? The Accelerated Learning Learners Program. program. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm convinced that it was just a torture thing. Yeah. So they would pick out the kids that they wanted to torment and put us in this program, and then everyone else would make fun of us all the time. Yeah. That's what I think. Looking back on it, it was some kind of a social experiment. It didn't last that long, did it? I don't think it was around... You know, I really don't know. Maybe seven or eight years? Really? Well, my brother and sister were both in it, and they are... My brother's four years older than me, yeah. and my sister's three years older. And then there was maybe a class or two behind us, too. So we did it from fifth grade to, and then they, fifth and sixth grade were the program where you went to the separate school. And then seventh and eighth was at East. And we had some classes that were sort of separate, but we were also just a rowdy bunch mm -hmm. of kids too. Well, they never asked me to join. Uh, I'm sorry. I, probably <laughs> when you, when you have to repeat third grade, <laughs> they probably decide not to ask you. No, it's because they didn't want to torture you. I'm yeah. telling you, they picked out the kids they wanted to torment. That's what it was. Well, I was very torturable at the time. Though. I mean, if you didn't know me then, you'd, I could have used some torture. What, what happened in the third grade? I just uh, didn't care. Yeah. I, well, it actually was first, second, and third grade. I, I remember that vividly, Brian Lobb was sitting next to me in first grade, and I didn't know an answer to a math test. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, Brian, what's the answer to, you know, any... Little jerky copies, covers up, you know, gives it the turn. And oh, that's rude. So I thought, shit on it. It's seven. <laughs> and then for three years, I get a math test. I'd say four, three, two, two, nine. First one done. Didn't get one right. Uh -huh. And then uh, I went uh, to Kennedy, 
because I went to Blaine at first. I went to Kennedy, oh, okay. and I had Betty Lester for third grade, mm -hmm. and she changed everything. Mm -hmm. You know, so I, she was from then on. I was pretty decent student. Yeah, you know, not I mean decent like three point yeah. kind of student. See, but, and I think we had good teachers. I went to Hawthorne, and the, I remember the teachers being great. Yeah, really nice. Yeah, I had. Uh, I, I think I only had. Well, my first grade teacher we were afraid of. And then I didn't like my second grade teacher. It was kind mm -hmm. of mean. But my, I think I actually, probably, I was probably afraid of my, my first third grade teacher too. Now that I, think of, <laughs> I was kind of a weenie back then. But I, I tried to fake sick every day. So, and, wow. Yeah, and I somehow still, that's, I don't know if, that, if, if they were just horrible teachers or I was just amazingly smart when I didn't even try and they kept promoting me to, until eventually they said, no, this guy's got to do it again. I don't know. Butte was so weird then too. In the, what was it, early 80s? Yeah, so it was 82, 83, I was in third grade at Blaine, and then 83, 84, I was at Kennedy, which was, which was great because I was, uh, Steve uh, Lester was playing for the Bulldogs, mm -hmm. and that was, Betty Lester was his mom, and I got to watch uh, the Bulldogs, and, and I was, of course, I was a central guy, you know, I was going to go to central, yeah. so we had, I had a rivalry with the teacher, and it was great. She's, she's, she's still, I mean, I don't, I don't think she's doing all that well right now, she's still around, but uh I'll, forever I'll, I'll yeah i'll be grateful to her betty lester i just think it was tough for everyone then if you think about what was going on in the city you yeah. know and everything like the economy kind of collapsing oh, yeah. and unemployment rate going up and i think those teachers had a rough time yeah i'm sure they did that was a tough place it was a tough place to be i you know my dad was one that got pink slip like it's like right around christmas time oh, you know from the company mm -hmm. you know and i remember my mom crying and and all that stuff. So. Yeah, and to think about how many people, how many families that happened to, you know, it was just going yeah. on all the time. Yeah. So there was like a lot of trauma happening in Butte, yeah. I think. And I still remember the, my dad shaped my political life for sure. But I remember him, how mad he was the night when we watched the CBS Evening News, which that's what he watched all the time, you know, mm -hmm. Cronkite and then, then Dan Rather, when Reagan fired the air traffic controllers. I remember that too. Yeah, that was my dad. I thought he was going to have a heart attack. He was so mad you because know, he's my there's not a bigger union guy around in, in the world than my dad well and it was such a culture shift when yeah. reagan did that it was so shocking yeah. do you remember it's just absolutely shocking yeah and, and it just changed the landscape for unions really yeah it devastated unions and they've never really recovered yeah. and it weakened every union mm -hmm. to some degree oh hey before we start do mm. you know about the starbucks in butte no well you know they tried to unionize oh did they and um they basically gave up because Starbucks was doing all the union busting tactics on them. Yeah. And there were four complaints at the National Labor Relations Board that they, that they have settled. But basically, they tried to form a union at Starbucks in Butte, and it didn't go. Really? We, Pat Ryan and me tried to start a union at the Montana Standard. When, <laughs> when, here's the funny thing. It didn't get very far. Yeah. Uh, they would have fired us probably, but it was right after they, they fired Bruce Saylor for mm -hmm. turning 60. So what year was it? It was, uh, let's see, be 13 years ago, so whatever. Okay. 20, no, 11 years ago. It was 2012, I think. Yeah, it was 2012 when they did that. So he gets all, we get all this, uh, PR did a lot of work. He got in contact with some union and stuff, you know, and uh, got a meeting set up and we had a, we had an office or a meeting at Timmy Dick's uh, building down there. He had a, he had a Nice, big. We had all kinds of chairs ready for a lot of people to come in. We talked to everybody. We went to all these reporters, and everyone was gung-ho. Yeah, I'd love to do that. I'd love to do that. And then when we finally had the meeting, we showed up. It was Pat Ryan, me, and John Amy. Oh, shit. That was it. Because everyone was afraid to get fired. 
of and course, course, I wasn't afraid. I was quitting anyway. If yeah. if we didn't, the union was the last. I figured maybe I'll get a union, save somehow save the paper, and then I'll stay here working. And then when the union didn't go, I said, all right, I'm going to go work down at KBOW. Yeah, I don't. You know, the Billings Gazette unionized. Yeah. Um, and the editor of the Butte newspaper wrote a letter against that. Really. When that happened, so. Yeah, there's Recently some stuff. Or? Yeah, I would say three years ago, two okay. years ago, something like that. Did so it last? Did it take the union? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, they're union now. But I think right. they're the, uh, the Bozeman Chronicle also did. But, you know, the cuts are so bad right yeah. now that I, I don't know if it can make a difference. You I was know, just I bet thinking, you they're still taking furloughs at the Billings Gazette. They're for, they are going through furloughs right now at yeah. Lee. Did you know that? Yeah, to everyone has to take two weeks. Yeah. Two weeks unpaid. You could lose your house for two weeks without yeah. pay. Yeah. Yeah. You know, especially when you're working at a newspaper. Right. Yeah. You know, that's two weeks. Because when you work at a newspaper, you don't have savings. I remember Dean Allen told us to start a go-to-hell fund. Mm-hmm. Like, how do you work for the Enterprise and have a go-to-hell fund? <laughs> well, I, maybe I, maybe I would have if, if I didn't go to Maloney's after work all the time. <laughs> maybe I would. That was your hell. <laughs> yeah, that, that, was, that was my heaven, Maloney's. Yeah. Go to hell as a. Uh, but anyway, you, you you got a new book coming out, or you came out. It did. Since, since it came out on February 28th, so it's been out yeah. almost exactly a month. But before before we get into that, though, I want to talk about your... You had a great piece in The Guardian today. Which oh, it was I read in The Nation. This, was it The Nation? Yeah. Okay, Guardian Nation. That was early when I woke you up. Know. I woke up, read my phone, I saw your tweet, and I read it <laughs> in The Nation. Yes. And I read it. It's about Chuck Johnson. Yes. And you... Uh, of course, it was very well done, and it tied in the, the... Not only about how great of a journalist Chuck was... Which was, you know, everyone, anybody who knew Chuck, you knew how phenomenal of a, a writer and reporter he was. But it kind of tied into the demise of local newspapers with it. I thought it was really well done. Thanks. Yeah. You know, Chuck was, um, <clears throat> Chuck was a friend of mine for 30 years. I went to work for him when I was 21 years old, covering mm-hmm. the legislature in Helena. I worked for him for about eight years in total. This is back in the 90s and early 2000s. Oh, yeah. And then... Um, we stayed friends, you know, for 20-some years after that. Every time I would come back to Montana when I was yeah. living overseas, he'd be one of the first people I'd call. Um, he was probably the most supportive person about my career that I've ever had around. Really? But it wasn't unique to me. I mean, I've heard from so many people since he passed that this, Chuck did this for everyone. That was just kind of this gift he had. He really believed in younger journalists and mentored them and yeah. supported their work and you know help people out to find new jobs when they got laid off I've heard a story like that someone getting laid off and he helped them get a new job he just had this I mean he was a fantastic journalist but he had this just absolute sincere generosity that I've really never encountered from anyone before yeah and he when Bruce got in his wreck you know Bruce had the heart attack and driving yep. home and smashed his legs up and he was in the hospital for you know, he was in intensive care for a long time in the hospital, like 38 days or something like that. But Chuck called every day to the of sports course. desk of the Standard to ask how Bruce was doing. And of he course. called he called every day until Bruce finally answered. Yep. You know, and he's just such a, such a nice, caring guy. And, of course, and I talked to him a lot uh, when I was an intern. And then when no one, would, when Carmen wasn't answering her phone, yeah, I, you know, with sports desk would answer because they called the Standard State Bureau, would call every day, yep. you know, with t- talk, whatever. And I just, and of course, I never talked business. With, it was just always sports. Or of course. Oh, I'm sure he'd love talking to you. That was his real passion was sports, yeah. you know? Yeah. And then when, uh, the couple times that he would message me on Facebook, tell me I did a nice job on a column or a story, that, 
was meant everything, you know. Yeah. It was like when Bert Gaskell called me and told me I did I did a good job in a story. I told Carmen that one time. She said Bert Gaskell gave you a compliment. He never <laughs> gives compliments. So, but uh, but that Chuck liked it. Knew you know yeah. made me feel pretty good. You know, and I mean the thing, this piece I wrote, what it was really about is how our local news has been stripped to the point where you know Chuck had a career in local news for almost fifty years. Yeah, and. I don't think you could do that today. Chuck could have worked anywhere. He could have gone to national newspaper. He could have gone anywhere. And he had offers early on in his career, but he wanted to be in Montana covering government and politics. That was his thing. And he was able to build this absolutely incredible career that I was thinking about it. To me, what he did is he, you know, a lot of people tried to encourage Chuck over the years to write a book because he was a real encyclopedia of Montana history. And I had been thinking about it. I think he did write a book. I think he wrote 100 books in all of these stories he wrote over 50 years. You know, he wrote this ongoing chronicle of the state. He's a really unusual person, but I don't think that you could build a career like that today with the state of local newspapers the way they are. Yeah, and he had a commentary piece every once in a while, too. Was it called Horse Sense or something like that? Yeah, he started doing a column in the, I want to say, in the mid-2000s. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, in his insight, the thing that Chuck had that no one else has or had is he, he was a trained historian. And so that was really his thing, was putting context into stories. So he wouldn't just write a daily news piece. He would put in the history and the context yeah. of, you know, what happened in the past to get us to this point. Yeah. And there isn't anyone who has that kind of really long institutional knowledge anymore. And I think we're all poorer for it. Yeah, for sure. Because the way the, well, the way the newspapers are now, they don't, you know, I, I always wonder what, I would like to talk to him what he thought about the last few elections when we don't know yeah. who's, who to vote for. And uh, even like, I, I, fairly well read in the newspapers and stuff. I try to pay attention to the politics who to vote for. And then when you got, you got uh, in the Democratic primary, you got Cora Newman versus, I can't remember, whoever beat her. What was her name or beat her? Uh, I, yeah. I Monica Trinnell. Monica Trinnell. They're going against yeah. each other. And what do we know about them? We know right. Cora Newman lives in California, right. you know, and she lives here. Monica Trinnell has a snake on a on her <laughs> shovel and she can take care of Ryan Zinke. And that's really what people voted on those commercials. I know. And that's all we know. We don't know who yeah. these candidates are. Well, and when I worked for Chuck's, what we would do when the um, election season would come up, we would divide up the races. So, you know, someone would cover the governor's race, somebody would cover the congressional race, someone would cover the Senate race. And we would then divide it up by issues. So you had to do story about where they stood on health care, story about where they stood on taxes, you know, yeah. all of the main issues. And I imagine... Today, housing would be a huge issue in these races. Um, So he didn't cover it from that weird, like he would write about ads if they were interesting or odd. But for him, the coverage really started with the issues rather than the bullshit back and forth that we have. And that's all we have now. Because we really don't have anybody. And of course, and then the legitimacy of when, if you do see a story out there. Oh, people say, oh, what's your source? Oh, that rag or that, you know, they don't trust the source. And then this is all getting muddy now with Elon Musk taking over Twitter yeah. and the verified check marks. Right. Like the New York Times, I believe, just lost their verification. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. you can't, it's deliberate from a certain yeah. corner of the world. People want to sow misinformation. Yeah. And I think the thing that people don't get is this loss of local news makes it easy for them. Yeah. You know, people are all completely tuned into the Donald Trump show now yeah. because they don't have local news that reflects back their community to them. 
And yeah. so the Trump shit is more interesting. And so yeah. that's what they pay attention to. Yeah. But, you know, remember the standard used to be really fun. I mean, there oh, yeah. was rowdy stuff in there. Um, and I think, you know, Butte's a rowdy town. I think it reflected back the community. And it's just the, the national politics is more interesting to people now. You know, for that story, I talked to a guy up in Cascade, Ken Toole, who was a former state senator. He's a Democrat. Um, yeah. He still does, like, progressive organizing. And he was telling me, and I know this, but um, the trip is down to two journalists now. Which is so sad. So the trip had almost 50 people yeah. in the newsroom in its heyday, and now they're down to two. And that's not just Great Falls. That's a massive region of the state. You know, yeah. there's not, it, it, it's a huge area without well, I think a in newspaper. 96th, summer, I had like, I think five friends who had internships wow. for the summer at the Tribune. Yeah. So that's how big they were that they had five. Now they don't right. even have... No. Two, they just have two full-time. No, I journals. worked there for a year right out of college. And I mean, it was like a buzzing newsroom. It was yeah. it was a real big professional newsroom. But the point is, so this former state senator was telling me they don't even have basic coverage of legislative races anymore. So nobody really knows what anyone stands yeah. for. You know, you have these people running for office and, and a lot of them don't want to tell you where they stand on the issues. Yeah. Well, they don't. They refuse to. Right. I and mean, we know more about Ron DeSantis than we do Greg Gianforte. Yeah, what the hell? Yeah. Literally, we know more about Ron DeSantis yeah. than Greg Gianforte, which is not okay. I mean, there's a lot of stuff we should know about Greg Gianforte. Yeah, and that's why I didn't realize it until I read it today that he didn't. He doesn't even live full-time in <clears throat> Noah. Yeah. Which is just crazy. Remote worker. Yeah. But for, not the rest of the state employees. They had to go back to the office. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, we have... Um, We've lost, I think, accountability journalism because these newsrooms are just so stripped down. And the thing is, so when Chuck was doing that job, his work was supported by the newsrooms. So people trusted him in part because these newsrooms are really, really well staffed in local communities and they trusted the newspaper. Yeah. And so when you only have people in Helena left, what, why would people in Billings trust them? Yeah. They're not seeing them every day. Yeah. So it's, I think it's really complicated. Um, and I don't know if it's going to get better. I don't see how it could. It's what it's going to lead to is, is where we're at now. We're like, I don't know, maybe we already are in a civil war, you know, the way in a, in a, it's, you know, a non, you know, it's not, it's, we're not running the red and the blue and the gray against each other because, yeah. you know, there's not areas against each other because, you know, there's neighbors. And don't like each other and stuff. I mean, it's certainly a massive threat to democracy. Just yeah. people having total lack of information about what their elected yeah. officials are doing and what they stand for. The big one for me in the last election was the Supreme Court races, which you could make a case that the state Supreme Court cases in the last election, given where we are on yeah. abortion and other issues like that, those are probably the most important races in the state zero coverage yeah. that was I shouldn't say that there was some coverage but zero coverage that was insightful there was a Washington <laughs> Post story that was really good yeah but how many people in Montana are reading the Washington Post yeah no. you know hardly anybody yeah and that's uh, the thing is and even like people who considered themselves you know astute political people you know who follow it they didn't know there's people who have no idea who to vote for right because you know, we just have lost that you're basically, information. Basically, you're, you're voting on, okay, he, oh, he endorsed this person and, you know, she endorsed this person. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go with her. And that's kind of how 
Yeah, I've had, I mean, that last election, I had a lot of people call me up and say, you know, who are you voting for? Because they yeah. couldn't figure it out. And that was bizarre to me. And these are like well-educated people who know where to look. Yeah. And the information just wasn't out there. Um, Other than the pamphlets you get at your house. Right. And those were so screwed up this last time around. You know, they had like errors and maybe misinformation in them from the yeah. Republican Secretary of State. So, yeah. Congratulations to this week's Les Guevara Honda Athletes of the Week, East Middle School student-athletes Joseph Montoya and Corey Leducer. Both received the honor after competing in the school's unified basketball program. Montoya is a 7th grade student who wrapped up his first year of hoops at East. He takes home the boys' honor. Coach Kelsey Thatcher said Joseph has a positive attitude and he always encourages his teammates. Leducer, an 8th grader, receives the girls' accolades after playing her second season of basketball at East. Thatcher said Corey has been a great leader and teammate for the past two seasons. Congratulations, Joseph and Corey, and thank you, Lescovar Honda, for honoring the hardworking student-athletes of the Mining City. Hey, Butte America, John Davis here at Lescovar Honda. If you've been putting off the purchase of that new truck or SUV, now's the time to start looking. We have one of the largest selections of cars, trucks, and SUVs, and prices that just can't be beat. Most of our vehicles come with a 20-year, 200,000-mile warranty to help with those costly repairs and giving you that peace of mind. Since 1957, Les Honda's been here for you. Stop on down to see us, Les Honda. Are you looking for a place to host a special event or a party? Or just looking for a drink served by the best mixologist in town? Look no further than 51 Below Speakeasy and Casino. Take a step back in time and enjoy some of our signature cocktails such as an Old Fashioned or a Pink Mate. Stop in for happy hour Monday through Thursday from 4 p.m. to 6 p.m. and 2 p.m. to 6 p.m. Friday and Saturday for $2 cans of your favorite beer or two for five seltzers or well mixers. Or try one of our tap beers for just $5 along with weekly specialty cocktails. Located underneath the Miner's Hotel, where Butte locals receive a 20% discount on rooms, 51 Below has live music every Friday night. So stop by 51 Below Speakeasy and Casino for a good time with good friends and great drinks. And don't forget to dial 5. Lockmer Plumbing is more than Butte's complete union plumbing shop. Whether it is sponsoring Little League Baseball, High School Athletics, Montana Tech, Youth Racing, 4-H, Mining City Christmas, Action Inc.'s Homeless Solution Program, Head Start, or Big Brothers, Big Sisters of Butte, Lockmer Plumbing is always looking out for the people of the mining city. Owned and operated by Troy and Amy Lockmer since 2002, Lockmer Plumbing can handle all your residential, commercial, and industrial plumbing needs as well as making repairs and installations on all plumbing and boiler systems. In the heart of Uptown Butte, Lockmer Plumbing can also assist on new construction and planning for your new home or development. Call 406-782-2224 or visit LockmerPlumbing.com today. Lockmer Plumbing has your pipes covered and so much more. This message is brought to you by Anno Designs in Anaconda. I know what you're all thinking. Fully, you twit. Why are you letting this Anaconda hack get connected with the Butte cast? Well, folks, money talks. Anno Designs is a printing and direct-to-garment shop in Anaconda. But that's not all we do. We actually specialize in embroidery and graphic design. We also dabble in sign creation and vinyl banners, also decals for your motor vehicles. Now, there are so many great options for screen printers out there. Take 5518, for example. You all know the work John and company do in Butte. And like me, they support local guys like this who started a podcast. Really original. But if your current printer is too busy to get your job done in a timely fashion, why not give us a try? For a limited time only, 
All new businesses who place an order with Anode Designs will get their screen, embroidery, and graphic design origination fees waived. Just call 406-563-0121 or email anodedesignsllc at gmail.com and use the code FOLEYWHO during the consultation. Anode Designs is a proud supporter of the ButteCast and is pushing hard to get more Anaconda talent on the show. Don't just take it from me. Listen to the buttery smooth voice of a Butte legend tell you. There's two things we like about Butte. It's 24 miles away and Tom O'Neill. Welcome to Copperhead Country. But speaking of uh, good journalism, your book was a good piece of journalism. Whoa, thanks. And uh, I, I, I did the audio book because... Uh, How'd it go? It was good. I, 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 was, I thought you were going to read it. I read the first yeah, chapter. Which you did, yeah, you did. Yeah. Uh, you inter- it was the introduction. Yeah. And then, but she was very good. I thought she yeah. did a good job. Good. And uh, I, I listened to it while, you know, taking laps around the big M with my dogs and, mm-hmm. you know, doing the dishes and all kind of stuff, which is why I like audiobooks because I love audio, uh, audiobooks yeah. just for that. Yeah. And, and that, and I just don't have the, the patience anymore to sit down for a book. I like them for road trips. Like yeah. if you're on a long drive somewhere, yeah. they're great. But yeah. also exercise and everything else. No, yeah. I love audiobooks. I think they're but, awesome. Uh, it was well done. And it, it did. It did. It reminded me in, in a lot of ways the, the premise of it of the nickel and dimed in America book, which was also a butte mm-hmm. writer. Mm-hmm. Again, my name's going to for Barbara Ehrenreich. Yeah. Barb. <laughs> that was a great book. And I, I remember I didn't, it wasn't audible. Audible.com wasn't around then. No. When I read that book and I remember sitting out in the porch reading that and it was so good. And it kind of, I remember there's a part where someone mentioned unions in the, in a Walmart, uh, uh-huh. and she like raised her fist or something like that. You know how she was so happy, <laughs> uh-huh. and that's I think that was right towards the end of it. And that's kind of what you kind of got back to unions again because your book, it's yeah. a, you, people look at the blood blood money, they're selling a plasma, right? Uh, and uh, and you know, and I didn't really realize that the industry as much. I thought maybe they're just getting paid for giving blood, yeah. Which is it's not that, but and but it's not just about that. It's about the the economics of it all and how it's targeting. It's the imbalance of uh the, the way the system is set up yeah. you know it's uh injustice for the the poorer people kind of way so when i went into the book i really thought it was going to be a science book i thought that i was writing about this thing that was kind of a niche science topic you know what i mean yeah. like not a very common thing and then i as i started doing the reporting and talking to a whole lot of people i realized that selling plasma is so common so one estimate that I have is, I mean, this is really just a totally rough estimate, but up to 20 million people in the year in the U.S. do it. Yeah. And it's all about, you know, so I interviewed more than 100 plasma donors all over the country. And um, the number one reason people do it is financial. So they do it to bridge the gaps in their salary, which doesn't meet the cost of living anymore. Um, and so I was shocked at how big it is. And since the book has come out, I've been shocked by the number of people I know well who've told me that they do this or have done it. It's just super common, but because people are weirded out by blood, I think, and also weirded out by poverty, we're very bad about talking about that. I think it's been stigmatized, and so people don't talk so openly about it. Yeah, which is the funny thing I thought about this book is you you got people who didn't want to mention their names, Mm -hmm. so you got to give them pseudonyms. Mm And I was laughing about that, just the difference between you and me. Because you have a, a, a well, this guy we'll call Paul. Mm-hmm. And you can kind of, and of course, you do such a great job describing the people. You know, because mm-hmm. you know, I, 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 I had a, I remember Sharon Barrett had a class at the University of Montana where we had to take a picture of someone with words. Yeah. And uh, I think the first thing I said, you know, I had to do something. I think my roommate, you know, just looks like an ordinary kid. What, what, stop. 
<laughs> Stop right there. What do you mean? So you know, and that you know, I started working on that, and that's yeah. a, that's a skill. You you're very good at that. That that's describing to people, so you can picture them. But the name also helps with that because you had a Paul, yeah. a Melissa, yeah, and you kind of picture a Melissa, yeah. Then you had a Mateo, yeah, and you could kind of picture a Mateo, yeah. See, but if I were approaching it, I'd be more like the impractical jokers. I'd have like mustache, eyebrows, <laughs> you know, teeth, you know, spider. But coming up with the names. I did for a lot of people, I cleared the fake name with them before I published it. You know, so that I didn't, I would hate to give someone a fake name and they hated the fake name. So part of the reason I did that was, you know, a lot of people didn't want, a lot of people hadn't told their families they do this. And only because they didn't want their families to worry about them for different reasons. But um, there's several chapters on people in Mexico who come across the U.S. border to sell plasma. And there's big. There's been this ongoing lawsuits over that, and so the reason I changed all their names was basically I didn't want them to get in legal trouble. Yeah, it's legal, but it's going back and forth right now about whether the U.S. government is going to let it continue. And I didn't yeah. want to help out Customs and Border Patrol in getting Mexican yeah. people in trouble. So that is the main reason. That's the reason I changed. Yeah, that's why names. Mateo was Mateo, and exactly not what his real name was there. Exactly, but. Uh, and it was uh, it was just interesting because like Rexburg, Idaho, which is where Coach Adam Hyatt played, mm-hmm. started his basketball career, which I didn't even know ex- where it was. I heard of it, I didn't mm-hmm. didn't know where it was until until your book, which and of course you must have to veer off the highway there off the interstate when you're driving up from from Idaho Falls, because it's what northeast of Idaho Falls. It's not that far off when you go over Manita Pass. Yeah. It's not that far past the pass. Oh, really? I want to say. 25 or 30 yeah. miles and then you just hang a left toward wyoming yeah whatever that is south yeah <laughs> east i don't know directions you turn yeah, left east. yeah you're heading south turn left Head you east. go about 12 more miles and you're in rexford but you can't really see it from the highway yeah. it's just it's a very didn't even um, know it was there yeah i mean i knew it was there because i went to i went to high school with a girl who went to rick's college but that's yeah. the only reason i knew about it i didn't know anything and now about that's it. what uh byu BYU Idaho. Yeah. Yeah. Which is huge. I want to say 15,000 students, something like that. Yeah. It's massive school. And, and they, they, a lot of people give, that's what uh, Coach Hyatt says, everybody donates plasma. There. So he knew about it. Yeah. That's so interesting. Did he do it when he was there? Yeah, I didn't ask him that. but Yeah, uh, probably he did. Yeah. There's just no I didn't look at his arm. It. See, I got the thing on my arm from. What's yours from? From giving blood. Really? How often do you do it? Well, I, I haven't in like six years because my iron oh, couldn't yeah. pass muster and I just have to take iron pills to get it to keep it up there okay. but I did it for you know I did it whenever uh, Peggy Denny he used to call me and tell mm-hmm. me I had to when she worked <laughs> she worked it was called United Blood Services then right and she she was like maybe a two-man operation down there and she oh, called wow. said I need your blood get down here and that's all right I oh go down God, that's so and uh, I so I did it. it you know every eight weeks and then they wow. started trying to get me to do the double where they take the red blood cells and they pump it back in. Yeah. You know, stuff. And uh, that That's made me. plasma. Yeah. So that, I didn't like that, though. I felt. So you did try it? Yeah. I felt. I, I probably did two or three times and I felt worse. So you've done time. it. Yeah. So, so for free, I didn't even get a hundred bucks. Think about this for a minute. If you donate plasma at the Red Cross, right, which yeah. you don't get paid, you are limited to doing that 13 times a year. Yeah. Because you could only. And, that, and the reason I did it is yeah. so they wouldn't bug me for 16 weeks. So let me tell you the other part of this. If you donate plasma at a for-profit center where you get paid, you can do it 104 times a year. And that's exactly the same thing. Because mm-hmm. that, and that's weird because they'd give you, they'd offer you tums because you're, you get the metallic 
taste oh, in your mouth. Oh, when they put and, it back yeah, in. Yeah, and yeah. you get cold, yep. you know, and it, it was, uh, yeah, so that's and exactly And they had you processed. hooked up to a little machine, right? Yeah. That spun it out. Uh-huh. Did you see the bag of yellow yeah. stuff? Yeah. Yeah. That, you gave plasma. Yeah. For free. Okay. For free. Yep. So the Red Cross collects plasma, um, but they do, a, they're a small portion of the whole plasma yeah. supply, basically. Yeah, well, they used to say that you could, your donation there could save, potentially save more lives mm-hmm. than if you just did the... Did, did the pint or whatever they they yeah. took out here you know it's very valuable what mm-hmm. has what's happened in the u.s though is it's become a profit-making commodity yeah. and we export it around the world so the u.s is one of five countries where people can get paid for plasma donation yeah. the other four are germany hungary the czech republic and austria mm-hmm. but their systems basically only supply their own countries because the U.S. is very different because we let people do it twice a week, yeah. every week, as long as they're healthy. So we have this giant pool of plasma that's collected by multinational companies who turn it into medication and ship it around the world. So because we're paying people and because we have so many poor people who need the money, yeah. we have a huge population who does this. So other countries are able to ban the practice of paying people for plasma because we provide it. Wow, that's crazy that you can do that. That's twice a week they want. They yeah. try to. So and you've it, done it. You know how it feels. Yeah, Imagine it, doing that twice it a takes, week. Well, I gave blood one time when Peggy called me up. It was a Friday. She called me. She said, get down here. That was back. The United Blood Service was still at the old uh, Silver Bowl Hospital, mm-hmm. St. James Easter. You know, it was back in there. And uh, I go give blood and I'm thinking about it uh, as, a, as the blood's coming out. Like, I'm supposed to run the, the Hibernians race in Anaconda tomorrow. It's oh a six God. mile race. Yeah. You know, I had a I had a bet with my dad, and I remember going down the the straightaway for the last finish line, and I could it was just stars. I felt so I, I had nothing in me, wow. you know, just from giving a pint of blood. And then yeah. that wasn't even anywhere near on par to what it was like to go give the double red cells, is what they used to call it. Uh huh. You know, you do you do the double, and they had the one machine there. So I felt I felt terrible for a couple of days. Yeah. And then and I there's no way I would have thought could thought you could do it twice in one week so well, you go on tuesday and thursdays and they donate blood pretty much well and they they basically i don't want to say bribe but they set up the system to get you to do it as often as yeah. possible so if you look at the payment structure yeah it's not just 100 bucks for a donation no you get you might get 40 on tuesday but if you come back on thursday you get 50 yeah and then if you make it you know every week or twice a week every week for a month you might get a bonus at the end of the month yeah. If you refer a friend, you get a bonus. There's all these ways that you can earn extra yeah. money, but the whole plan, I mean, the whole system is designed to get people to come back as often as possible without yeah. really telling them exactly how much money they're going to make. Like, the, the payment structure is totally non-transparent. Instead yeah. of just saying, every time you do this, we're going to give you 50 bucks, it's all over the place. Yeah. It's like a nickel and dime when she pointed out she applied for Walmart. Yeah. There was never a point when you bargained how much you made. Right. They just told you when you start. Right. They never told you what you made, and you never knew what you made until you got your paycheck. Right. Because you're and not that's kind of what that reminded system. me of there, mm-hmm. with that, and uh, and it's a secretive kind of thing too. They wouldn't talk to you. You you had to go in. You went to Flint. Yep. Which, uh, I've, I've of course I'm Michael Moore fan. I like you remember Roger and me, which was a great piece of which journalism too. Which I watched too. twice while I was writing the book. Did you? It holds up. It's yeah, still it's still really good. good. Still yeah. That lady with the rabbits. Yeah. It's just, it's funny and it's, it's wrong and it's yeah, sick, but it it's, is, it's a great but it's movie. compelling. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, 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 it's his best one by, mm-hmm. by a long ways. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you go in and you, you apply for a job. 
Yeah. And then it, you go in an interview and everything. Right. So it was, it's kind of difficult to get into a plasma center if you're a reporter. So I had a pretend job interview at a plasma center in Flint. Yeah. Um, and they gave us about 90 minutes in total. And they gave me a tour of the whole place and told me how everything worked. And he was very professional, I would yeah. say. Like the people that work there are quite professional. It's very clean the way it's set up. Um, but I kept thinking about these plasma donors had told me that, who had told me they felt like livestock. Yeah. in this process because that it feels almost like an agricultural operation. People come in, there's these rows of chairs sat next to yeah. each other and they sit in the chair and they hook them up to the machine, you know, and they're being drained of their protein, essentially. Yeah. Um, so what was really interesting to me is that um, the people that interviewed me at the plasma center for my job, which apparently would have involved sticking people with needles, which I could mm. never do, yeah. They had zero interest in my medical yeah. experience or they're, background. They're worried about your, your your skills as uh, what customer service. Exactly. So yeah. they're all of the questions centered around if someone, if one of the donors is unhappy, like what can you do to make them happy? Because yeah. they want people to keep coming back. That's the primary thing that yeah. they want is a lot of donors. So I didn't lie. I mean, I told them about my restaurant experience. Yeah. which I do have. <laughs> right? Like I'm fine with customer yeah. service. I can uh, do you, that. You can be a waitress. You, you can stick someone <laughs> with a needle. Oh. Totally the same thing. But th I thought that was very revealing that they didn't, they were just mostly interested in how I dealt with clients and, you yeah. know, people who might get pissed off because a lot of times people will go into these places and a technician will stick them wrong or yeah. something happens like that. And it's not their fault, but they can't donate. Yeah. And then what they get like so many weeks of their outright. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And so they not want, only you don't get paid today, but uh -huh. you don't get paid for this whole for like a month or more, right? Right. And so if you depend on that as part of your income, it's a You're serious be thing. Off. Oh, for sure. And yeah. you should be. I mean, because they they have convinced you to make this part of your income and to depend on it. But if someone else screws up, you're screwed. Yeah. And and they're going to train you to do it right there, right? They're going to hire you because yeah. you got waitress experience. <laughs> and they do on-the-job training. On-the-job training, which is scary because I've been, I've had on-the-job training when I was at the blood service. Mm -hmm. And there are people who studied it a lot more than, you know, they just they just hire somebody who had Buffalo Wild Wings experience. <laughs> I don't think, anyway. But it was nervous. It's nervous yeah. when you do that. It's nervous when you get a young nurse yes. who's doing, uh, you know, just sticking you for, you know, an IV. Yeah. And uh, and I've been hit. There's times when it got the nerve and, yep. you know, stuff. Nothing. I think maybe one time they hit the nerve. They I was probably pretty lucky over the years of doing that, but you yeah, that's, it was veins. scary. Some people have really good veins, and that I got a nice big them. one. This my right yeah. one is not so good, but the left one is like is, yeah. it was a dream for me because they, they always they asked me what arm to do, and I said, well, you're going to want the left one because that's what they end up doing anyway. So, do you want to guess where the plasma centers are in Montana? Let me give you the background to this, okay? The pla plasma centers are almost always located in places with high numbers of people who don't make enough money to get by. So not necessarily always poor communities, but yeah. communities with a lot of inequality. Yeah. Um, and they also have to have a, biggest, a, a big enough population to support a center. So I can tell you straight off, Butte does not have one. No. And I think it's because we're too small. Yeah. It's so, like the same reason we don't have uh, Red Lobster. Got to have 80. I saw someone looked into it. You got to have 80,000 or they, a lot of these places won't look at you. We don't want Red Lobster. No. Come on. No, Target would be nice. Or <laughs> a store, like any store. See, now, now you're sounding like uh, Helen Mirren or, and, and Kelly. <laughs> hey, I agree Kelly with Clarkson. them, man. They were spot on. <laughs> Except for she's, Kelly Clarkson spent like 2200 bucks at 5518 
last summer. Doing what? Just buying all kinds of. You have, have you been in Fifty Five Eighteen? I love it. So she yeah. was like buying gifts or something. Her and her kids kept just oh, throwing stuff nice. up there. That's so nice. she knows that there's some good shops, but that's what she was talking I about. Mean, there's she's not talking about groceries, yeah, which I totally yeah, agree with. She's her talking on about that. yeah. There's what well, we got: Walmart, Safeway. And Safeway. So what my question is: Why isn't Kelly Clarkson shopping in Anaconda? That's way closer to where she is. Yeah, well, I guess her. And they have good. I think stores. her ex-husband lives up uh, oh, towards yeah. Helena somewhere. Okay. And and she's over by Phillipsburg. Right. I have no idea if that's right or not, Apparently, but this is you, what I was told. You are big on your celebrity gossip. Yeah. I'm shocked. Well, it was on the news. Mm-hmm. John Amy had two stories about it. I heard. That's why yeah. I know, because I watched John Amy. That's yeah, that's what everyone watches John so, Amy. Yeah, so Butte doesn't have, we're not big enough for one, because we're Correct. not big enough for a Red Lobster. Right. We have Buffalo Wild Wings, which is about our biggest chain, probably, since Starbucks. I think that's true. Yeah, yeah, so we really don't have, you know, we don't have Applebee's or any of that, Mm-mm. and that's why we don't have it. So mm-hmm. you're looking at Missoula, of course, is in your book, so we know yep. Missoula has one. Does yep. Bozeman have one? Bozeman's just opened, like, just. maybe a year or two And ago. Billings? Billings has one. Kalispell? Nope. Not. Which surprises me. Yeah. I would think Kalispell would have one. But if you think about Kalispell, it's a shit ton of older people there. Yeah. And I think that older people, plus they had maybe have a little more money, yeah. and so... I don't think retirees are, you know, going to support a plasma yeah. center. So uh, it's Great Falls. Great Falls. Yeah. Those are the places. So it's Billings, Missoula, Bozeman, and Great Falls yeah. have one. And it's not just students. I mean, because no. my daughter wanted to do it, and I told her she wanted. She said, "I can get a hundred bucks." I said, "I'll give you the hundred bucks," because she wanted to go to the Smart. concert. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't want her to do it, and because I knew how I felt from what I did, and I didn't even realize I basically gave plasma, yeah. or not even basically, I did give plasma. Yeah. Uh, so. But it's, there's journalists do it. Like, there's a lot of journalists, you say. It's I met a, so many local news reporters. Yeah, news reporters are people on TV. Yeah. And you know, think people think, oh, they must be making a lot of money there on TV. Right. But no. No, I met a woman in Michigan who is a local TV journalist, has a very, like, prominent position, I would say, and she sells plasma to buy groceries. And that's yeah. just part of her budget. Like, she's worked it into her budget. She's not making poverty wages, but she's not making enough to have yeah. a comfortable life. So that's how she supplements her income. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, some people do it for, like, your daughter was talking about doing it for a concert. I met another local journalist who sold plasma to pay to go to a wedding. Yeah. So there's all sorts of different reasons people yeah. do it. The, the th- I think there's three target populations. There's college students are a huge ones. So yeah. you'll always find these plasma centers in big college towns because they yeah. know. I mean, last fall, I was at a Grizzly football game with my dad at Washington Grizzly Stadium. And we were just chatting a little bit about my book, right? Mm-hmm. And by coincidence, I went into the ladies' room at Washington Grizzly yeah. Stadium. There's an ad on the wall, pays well part-time. Yeah. And they were promoting students going in to sell plasma. And there's someone that has a job. Yes. It looked just like yeah. a job ad. You wouldn't believe it. Yeah. There's college students. There's working class people who work full time and just need yeah. to get a little bit more money. Like that's a big part of this as well. Yeah. And then the other component is um, Mexican citizens who live in Mexico, but they come across the border to earn money by selling plasma in the U.S. because this is banned in Mexico like yeah. most of the rest of the world. So at one point... There were 10,000 Mexican citizens a week coming into the U.S. to sell plasma. Casa Grande Steakhouse serves steak and so much more. You cannot beat their seasoned, hand-cut Rocky Mountain ground beef. But did you know about their menu filled with made-to-order pastas, chicken sautés, mouth-watering seafood, appetizers, enticing desserts, or their most recent addition, sushi? 
Thursday nights are sushi nights at Casa Grandes, where you will be welcomed as a part of the family. Casa Grandes can also handle all your catering needs with style, class, and a taste that cannot be beat. Visit Casa Grande Steakhouse inside the historic Bertoglio Warehouse at 801 South Utah Avenue in Uptown Butte. Call 406-723-4141 for reservations. Check out their menu at casagrandesteakhouse.com. Casa Grande Steakhouse, eat where the locals eat. Shop where the champions shop at Dig City Supply. The Fan Gear headquarters for all things Montana Tech is right across the street from the Uptown Parking Garage on Park Street. Not only can you get your Charlie or Digger fix, but we carry the area's largest selection of Montana and Montana State apparel, as well as Butte High, Butte Central, and all the elementary school gear. Dig City is also home to the exclusive licensed Butte Icon shirt collection. We partnered with cherished Butte institutions to offer one-of-a-kind graphic tees from places like the Silverbow Drive-In, Beef Trail Ski Area, Bonanza Freeze, and our brand new Evil Knievel designs. Head uptown to Park Street and check out Dig City Supply and find us online at digcitysupply.com. Is your house too cold or is it too hot? Either way, Lockmer Sheet Metal is here to help. With more than 40 years of experience in the heating, ventilation, and air conditioning trade, Lockmer Sheet Metal strives to bring quality service and knowledgeable work to help with your HVAC projects or needs. Lockmer Sheet Metal offers repair services for all forced air central air systems, installation of new HVAC systems, service contracts for maintenance and service, all residential and commercial applications, fabrication of sheet metal for all types of projects and ventilation and exhaust systems, as well as commercial heating and cooling. Call 406-782-2224 or visit LockmerSheetMetal.com to warm up or cool down with Lockmer Sheet Metal, your local dealer for train heating, cooling, air handling, and ventilation products. Remember Lockmer Sheet Metal for all your home heating and cooling needs. Lone Peak Physical Therapy is your premier privately owned physical therapy, occupational therapy, certified hand therapy, pelvic health, and personal training facility located right here in beautiful Butte, Montana. With over 21 years of experience, our team here at Lone Peak is hyper-focused on you, your goals, and finding a way to help you get better, faster. We provide one-on-one -on -one care with the highest quality specialized services. Are you tired of dealing with your low back pain, arthritis, carpal tunnel, neck pain, headaches, and shoulder pain? Did you just have a recent surgery? Do you struggle with feeling off balance or do you get dizzy during your day? How about a custom splint built for your hand and wrist? Did you recently have a baby and now your body feels tremendously foreign to you? Look no further. We are here for you and ready to help you move better and feel better every step of the way. You do not need a doctor's referral to come in and see us. We accept health insurance and also offer comprehensive self-pay options. Don't settle for mediocre health care. Your journey to living better and getting back to doing what you love can start today. Give us a call at 406-494-7050 or visit our website at LonePeakPT.com to speak to an expert now. You know what? The Montana Officials Association should pass out flyers to these plasma centers because you think the money that you can make doing that. See, I started refereeing basketball this year. Yeah. I, I didn't do I did it because they talked me into it because they need the help. I didn't yeah. even think about the money part of it. But then they pay $48 a game. 
and then you do that's I, nothing. I would, but forty. I would do a freshman game and a JV game. Wow. And I so I do. I'd get ninety six bucks. They pay you right then. You get ninety six bucks. Yeah. And you do three four games a week. Okay. I mean that really. My yeah. wife was getting pretty used to that. Yeah. So that, that that's pays. actually if you're so doing these that kids money. who are selling their blood, I they'd be just, so much better being an official. Seriously, I was just thinking about the hassle of being an official. Oh, that <laughs> see, I I like pissing people off. Okay, so, <laughs> so you're fine with it. Yeah. Then. Yeah, you know, the thing is, I think this is so embedded in American society now. It's yeah. so common. It's not going to go away. No. But I think the thing we need to do is think about if we should be allowing the system that encourages people to do it twice a week. Yeah. And if we're paying people enough. I mean, why aren't we paying people more if it's that valuable? Yeah, it seems supply and demand would... Yeah laws should come into play at some point there, right? Right. And the, I mean, the other part of this, which to me is the bigger picture, is why is college so expensive that kids have to sell their blood to go yeah. to college? Like, and housing and everything. Yeah. And housing and everything else. It's insane. Like, yeah. how do we get to this place where it's just totally acceptable that a 19-year-old has to make a decision to go sell their blood? Yeah. Yeah, you shouldn't, shouldn't have any kind of worries when you're 19 no. going to college. No, I mean, you know. it's hard enough just trying to study and then you're worried, you know, you're getting extra money by doing this thing that might impact your health. Yeah, and it's going to get, yeah, like you said, it's going to see more people are going to do this now as the, of course, especially with inflation now and the way we're, we're targeting inflation, which is how, if I watched uh, Robert Reich, mm -hmm. which is one of my go-to guys for the economy, mm -hmm. and he's talking about how we're punishing the poor people to, to try to slow down inflation. We're raising interest rates. Keep raising yep. interest rates. Always. We're not doing a thing, not even saying, like Joe Biden goes on, Twitter every day to talk about how great he's doing. Right. He never says a word about, you know, you go to groceries, you pay you, you pay sixty bucks in groceries, and you get toothpaste, mouthwash, and a deodorant, and you know you don't get anything for it. But if you think about it, like, and no, all political parties aside, I'm talking yeah. about all of them in national yeah. politics. When was the last time a member of Congress or president was worried about the cost of groceries? Yeah. Remember George Bush didn't even know. Yeah. They tried to ask him what a gallon of milk costs, and, right. and he couldn't even tell you. They have lots of money. It's yeah. not a concern for them. Most of them don't come. Yeah. I mean, most of them are so far removed from any discomfort financially that yeah. they don't see it. Yeah. And yeah. that's both, you know, that's all parties, I yeah. think. Yeah, and this inflation, this is, uh, and of course, I couldn't tell you what caused the inflation when Jimmy Carter was there. But this inflation here is almost 100% greed for profits sure because it's uh, the profits for everything are up yeah. gas gas prices were so high everyone's yelling about the gas prices the gas company the oil companies were of at course. record profits of course uh, that's the, the supermarket chains yeah. record profits everything by by yeah. raising the price yeah not by I mean, selling more but by raising the price there's been some studies that the richest people in the world became like exponentially richer during the pandemic yeah. so this was like a wealth hoarding that yeah. happened in the last few years and it's not, I mean, there isn't a focus on looking at what we need to do for working class people and poor people because we don't like to talk about that. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't fit. Uh, it's, not, it's not easy to fight about on, uh, on Facebook and, on, <laughs> on, on, and, and have snippets I on the news. I have to try to stay away from Facebook, yeah. man. Those people scare me. Yeah. But this whole thing, uh, <laughs> the way this works, you could tell in your book you're, you don't like it the way it's obviously it's they're they're preying on the on the poor people, mm -hmm. but you're conflicted because you need people 
to sell plasma because you need medicine that or the infusions from right plasma. I mean I need people to donate plasma yeah. the fact is because we are you know they call the US the OPEC of plasma yeah. because we really? are the people that control I mean we really have this massive pool and we provide it to the rest of the world and drug companies based in Australia and and Spain make a shit ton of money off of it so I do depend on people donating plasma the conflict for me is that I do think these companies prey on people's hardships. Yeah. So they target neighborhoods that are poorer. That's been proven. There's studies that show they target poorer zip codes. Yeah. A lot of that tends to be in cities like Flint, which is majority black, yeah. or in El Paso, which is also majority not white. Rexburg's kind of an anomaly. Rexburg is 96% yeah. Mormon and almost entirely white. Yeah. But, you know, those are college kids from the Mountain West. They're not rich. Yeah. So the common th the common denominator in these places where plasma centers are really targeting is poverty and low income. And so that makes me really uncomfortable to depend on other people's hardships. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's you can see the, the struggle in the book, which was interesting to... As you, because you, you're in the book, so you, it's a yep. different kind of, you know, you're. I did have to it, put myself. Yeah, because you got to be in it. You're right. You, there's, you, which was good though. I mean, I thought yeah. that made it more interesting. I think it would have been dishonest to do the book without putting myself in yeah. it and telling people why I was interested in this topic to begin with. Right? Yeah, because it's not some. It's not a topic most people were gonna think they were interested enough to, to spend two years writing a book about. No. You know, but you, mm -mm. but you made it completely interesting yeah I mean so. it's a weird topic the the thing to me what what I was saying before is because of the stigma around these things I do think people are reluctant to talk about it and so it, it's been I don't know it's been pretty rewarding since the book came out to have a lot of people tell me their stories about you know they depended on selling plasma for a couple of years to get by yeah. financially and I hope people can open up yeah. a little bit more about it and also just start talking more about like economic stuff and the reason we still have so many people in this country who still feel like they have to sell their body parts to get by which is pretty pretty crazy you know? it's bleak and, and and the details you go into you go into the the inspiration for dracula <laughs> which was in it and then and the vampire movies which would just said uh, what was your line that i, I laughed at tj i sent you a text which uh, which you said that the people the audiences uh drank it up or something like that. <laughs> did i and, write that well, that's, oh my god and that's that's, that's embarrassing and the way she read it she like paused <laughs> and, the, and the audiences drink it up <laughs> <laughs> the, the audio book reader was probably like i can't believe she wrote that. i was Are good it was me? it was a good line i thought that's it was good. really funny i thought it was it was a good line but it was worth it was it made me laugh out loud yeah well the vampire stuff is so interesting like you know people are freaked out by blood I think just as a concept, yeah. but at the same time, people are totally fascinated by it. You know, it's this thing that for centuries we've thought was like the fountain of youth and, you yeah. know, thinking about eternal life and all these other things. And the reality is we are constantly extracting things from millions of people's blood and making it into medications that companies are making profits on. Like yeah. vampires are real. Yeah. And back to the rich people who think if they get old, they can bathe in the young blood. Right. Right, and, and they're uh, still doing that. I mean, yeah. there was a guy in Silicon Valley who started this company called Ambrosia. Yeah. And he's it, the idea is they infuse the plasma from yeah. young people into older people. There's no science behind it yeah. at all. Like, then there's no scientific study behind it at all. But people did pay for it. He claimed to have customers. Yeah. So just the fact that anyone is 
trying to do this to me yeah. is nuts. And was it was it Kardashian was behind some some kind of deal? Well, she had, she had this kind of viral thing where she had something called a vampire facial. Yeah. Where they vampire facial. That's yeah, right. you can get those in beauty, you know. Really. Uh huh. Um, they basically do micro needling on your face and then inject plasma right under the skin. And again, no science behind the no. plasma part of it. Might be worth doing just to see. Hey, I got these wrinkles around you my, my totally daughter do points. It. My you know thirteen yeah. year old daughter talks about. I think she counts the wrinkles on my face. Do it and take a picture. Because when you do it, apparently you have like <laughs> your face looks bloody you now from yeah. the needles. So you should totally do it. I wonder how much that costs. <laughs> I don't remember. It's kind of a lot. You can actually. do it in Butte. Just get Botox. It's cheaper. You know, if you're concerned about the eye wrinkles. I don't. I want to have a vampire facial though. That just sounds <laughs> better than the I Botox. I want to say it's fifteen hundred bucks, but don't quote me. On really? That. I wonder if we could bring it a GoFundMe just to do so it we can and do then an do experiment, it live uh, on camera. Yeah, for, do it live you know, on on Facebook. A, yeah, I think get, that's uh, a good idea. <laughs> I think it's really painful. Yeah. I mean, they're jabbing little tiny needles in yeah. your face. Well, I could take it. Yeah, it'd be funny. I probably couldn't take it. You'd probably get like two or three of them in, and they'd start screaming. They're like little girl who, you know, if they uh-huh. give a little girl you pierce her ear, you got to pierce them both at the same time. Oh, otherwise, is that they just what they have. Do? Otherwise, you just have one pierced ear. I don't know if that's how they. I believe that's how they did it when they did my my daughter. Oldest Prob- daughter it one. makes sense. Because otherwise, they're leaving with one earring. Yeah, I can't think about that. God, ouch. Yeah, and and your part, you, the part you read was very interesting in the book too, because you're talking about you're smuggling blood into China. Oh yeah, that was that was kind of funny. So I lived yeah. in China for what 15 years, and I needed this medication. Um, but China had had an AIDS crisis in yeah. the 1990s that was created through the plasma industry. So they basically back in the 90s came up with this what seems like a goofy idea. No. to make a lot of money and make people rich by um, paying them for their plasma. And so there were all these poor farmers in one particular province who started selling their plasma. And back then, they weren't very good on safety protocols. You know, with, they would reuse needles and reuse tubing and things like uh-huh. that. And someone turned up in the system with HIV, and it spread and spread, and hundreds of thousands of people got HIV and died from AIDS because at that time there wasn't a good medical treatment for it. Yeah. Um, so by the time I got to China in the early 2000s, they had essentially tried to cover up what happened in this province with all these people dying of AIDS. But at the same time, they blamed it on foreign blood. And so they banned the importation of foreign blood products. And so when you would go into China, you had to sign a customs declaration form. And one of the questions was, are you bringing blood products and I was I just checked no but I always had it in my suitcases Um, you know China was pretty wild west back then so I don't think that had to be scary though didn't you get caught what would they have done I don't know yeah I don't know it didn't worry me you might have had a book about Chinese prison (laughs) (laughs) I don't know that I would have made it out to write that one (laughs) I don't know it didn't freak me out that much because things were much I don't know looser then and I think that um, I don't I think you can get away with it today China's changed so much it's much more restrictive but I was in and out you know dozens and dozens of times and no one ever searched my bags so I just wasn't that worried about it well you're innocent looking though you're totally yeah Yeah. right (laughs) harmless yeah yeah you don't you're not menacing by any any stretch of imagination (laughs) but so you um, you knew you had this disease before mm-hmm. you moved to China. Yeah, kind of stupid, huh? 
and then you moaned. I know. Well, it, it, you followed what you wanted to do, though. It's yeah. kind of you wanted to go be a. Yeah, you know, the U.S. healthcare system, I think, encourages people to kind of give up or not give up exactly, but it restricts us in what yeah. we want to do. And I just figured out kind of a workaround going yeah. there. Um, but, you know, it was sort of nuts. I would turn up at hospitals in China with my own medication and just ask them to infuse it into my veins. Can you imagine doing yeah. that here? Like if someone from another country showed up at the hospital yeah. here and was like, put this in my veins, I think you'd get arrested. Yeah, probably, yeah. But they did it. I mean, I used to, I've worked out deals with hospitals where they would do it and they were pretty good about it for most really? of the time I was there. But so the reason I was smuggling, just to be clear, is the Chinese blood supply was still unsafe. Yeah. There were still like outbreaks of hepatitis and outbreaks of different things. Um, and I had the privilege of being an outsider. But what happened then, so I came back to the U.S., and I met this woman who had been a whistleblower in China on the AIDS epidemic. And she basically, she was living in Salt Lake City at the time, and she basically told me that I needed to look into what was going on in the US. You know, China had come up with this kooky idea of the plasma economy, yeah. but the US went ahead and did it while nobody was really paying attention. Um, and I think from what I've seen, the industry is much safer. Like I'm not worried about a big viral outbreak so much it's just very exploitative i mean it really preys on people who are having yeah. problems well the the legislature was trying to I, I don't know if they passed it or not that there was a bill introduced to ban people who uh, had the covid vaccine from donating blood they should ban themselves is what the legislature <laughs> should do ban themselves so, how about that yeah. stop banning people just ban yourselves yeah. so that would be uh, you you think you think the so that would probably affect the plasma industry, right? If you can't donate blood, I think the pharmaceutical companies would fight back. So I can't imagine that passing. I don't think it's going to go anywhere. No. You know, the legislature is so full of absolute kooks oh. now. And they have, they just pass shit that's unconstitutional yeah. and they know it. And that's why they have this massive budget to fight in court when someone challenges yeah. their laws unconstitutional. That's also the reason. But they can't give a few bucks for students to right, for free. Exactly. And that's why they're trying to discredit the judicial system in Montana. You know, yeah. they know what they're passing isn't constitutional, yeah. but they love the attention. They well, get imagine the deaths that you would get, though, if you if you ban people who do donate blood from forgot the COVID shot. Because the kind of people who got the COVID vaccine are the kind of caring people, people who, who donate, donate their blood. own blood to that's worrying exactly about other people, right. not exactly you know. Right. So you would you would lose. I would be, I would venture to guess that more than eighty percent of people who donate blood regularly had the COVID vaccine. I bet you're right. That that would track. Like like yeah. you said, it's generous people that care about society and yeah. other people who do it. Now, the or people had Peggy Dennehy tell them saying, "You get your ass down here and give blood." <laughs> she just scared me into giving it. It wasn't I was a nice guy. She the, told me I was doing the it. The blood boss. Yeah, she was a I vampire. Like that. Oh, that's awesome. Good for her. Yeah. yeah that I don't know, ma'am. The legislature is awesome the rails yeah it is it is just insane i try i get so depressed almost when you read it mm -hmm. and you think about uh what they're doing and i, I it's almost it's almost better just to like i, I told rob o'neill i he's talking about what you watch this i watch the office mm -hmm. i watch sports center i watch the nfl network because mm -hmm. it's way less depressing even though i'm a bears fan it's way less depressing than watching watching the news 5518 Designs is your Montana Lifestyle Apparel Headquarters in Uptown Butte. We're gearing up to launch all of our brand new designs for the summer. All our designs are created in-house, actually in the cabin that we have in the back of the store, and they're meant to get you psyched about all your summer adventures. 
Whether it's biking, hiking, floating, festivaling, or just chilling lakeside, we've got the tees, hats, hoodies, and gifts that everyone is sure to love. And we haven't even mentioned our unique line of Butte gear, but we'll save that for another commercial. In the meantime, stop into 5518 Designs at 27 North Main Street in Uptown Butte and shop online at shop5518.com. Are you looking for somewhere to watch your favorite teams play or just somewhere to meet your friends? Or are you looking for a place to hold your big celebration or cater your private event? Look no further than Metal's Sports Bar and Grill. They can do it all. With their 31 big screen televisions, you will not miss a second of action and a full menu of cooked-to-perfection favorites is sure to please. Try the Vault Burger, raise fingers, or one of Chef T's specialty items. Or just enjoy a drink and some friendly company with Dave and the staff as you take in the action at Metal Sports Bar and Grill. Metal Sports Bar and Grill is located on the corner of Park and Main in historic Uptown Butte. Stop by today or check out their menu at metalsportsbarandgrill.com. Metal Sports Bar and Grill, where the food is the star. There's no story so good that a drink from Park Street Liquors won't make it better. From the finest whiskeys and regional spirits to the latest RTDs and select wines, Park Street Liquors has all the ingredients to make your parties and stories legendary. Park Street Liquors can also assist with your corporate event or wedding by helping create and plan your wine and spirits menus. You name it and Park Street Liquors has it. Stop by and see Tom and the crew at 133 West Park Street or call 406-782-6278. Make your stories legendary. Visiting your neighborhood Thriftway Super Stops was already your favorite stop of the day. Now it is even better. Join the brand new Thriftway Loyalty Club to rack up big discounts, earn free stuff, and receive more TLC with every visit. Download the TLC app and take advantage of great deals on pizza, grab-and-go favorites, fresh brewed coffee, cool fountain drinks, and much, much more at your neighborhood Thriftway Super Stops. Loyalty Club members also save five cents per gallon off top-tier conical fuel every single day. Plus, earn points at the pump and in the store. You know what's weird? When I was working on this book, and this book is kind of dark, I don't think it's... I don't think it'll make people squeam it. It doesn't no. really talk about blood. It's no. more just about people's lives. Yeah. But the only thing that I could read or watch for the whole time I was writing this book was really bad true crime. I don't know really? why. Yeah, like really bad true crime. No. Like, you know, I know all the murders now. Like the Ted Bundy stuff? Along those lines, yes. Because yeah. mm -hmm. I did that. I got into that once where I, I had, there's like, this guy had a trilogy of Ted Bundy books, which oh, were yeah. really interesting. Mm -hmm. But it's stuff I wish I didn't know. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know it all now. Do you know about uh, David Meyerhofer at the Missouri River Headwaters State Park out here by oh. Three Forks? Yeah, well, I don't know the story. Well, he was a, you know, he was starting to be a serial killer. I don't remember uh. how many people he killed, but he lived right down in uh, Manhattan, I believe. And some guy just wrote a great book about him. Really? Yeah, it's called Shadow Man. Very good. Shadow Man. I'm going to put that on my list. And it's about the birth of FBI profiling, but it's based around this guy in Manhattan. Is it a ways back or is it further? When this happened yeah. or when the book came when, out? When, that, when it happened. I want to say 1972, 73, oh. somewhere in there. So I'm thinking it's got to be harder to be a serial killer nowadays with everyone's got a camera, right? You know, it's a really good question. I don't know. I think no. that it's got to be true because they kind of rely on people. That's how they got that people. guy over in Moscow. Yeah. 
Right, and he was definitely the beginning of a serial yeah, killer, he was wasn't kill he? More, yeah, yeah. No, he's completely off the rails, and they got him with his phone. So I'm sure you're right about that. Yeah, because yeah. they would have got Ted Bundy way before in today's technology. Probably, and police departments talk to each other now. You know, back yeah. in the day, they didn't have like communication yeah. or sharing information. Yeah, and not stuff. that long ago, really. Right, right. You could cry, <laughs> just go to another state and get away with bad shit. <laughs> yeah, which people did. Uh, There's a thing on Netflix about the guy. The the I think it was based on true story. I don't know if it was the guy a rapist who went uh, would always make sure it was every we do only would attack once in each county. Oh wow! And you know that way they and then it went on for and on and on. And they weren't talking to each yeah, other. Yeah, I'm not sure. I think it's a base kind of loosely based on true story kind of okay. stuff. Okay. But yeah, it was the, the one when they didn't believe the girl. The cops didn't believe the girl. Oh, yeah. It was like a Netflix series. I can't remember what it was called. I'm surprised I haven't watched it because I'm t- that's all I could watch and all I could read was really weird true crime. So I need really? to move on now. I don't know why. For some reason, because I'm writing about this really kind of dark stuff, but true crime was sort of the thing that was interesting yeah. to me. So are you thinking about your next book now? I am, mm-hmm. but I'm not 100% sure what it's going to be. So mm-hmm. I'd like to do something in Montana. Yeah. Um, and there have a couple of different ideas, but I'm not 100% sure about yet. About how we need more targets? Butte doesn't have a Ross or a TJ Maxx. I know. My sister said to me the other day, do you ever buy so-and-so at TJ Maxx? And I was like, no, because we don't have stores here. I don't buy really? anything. See, I would be 100% fine if the only clothing I ever got came from 5518 Dig City or Blake's Place over in Anaconda. Where do you buy socks? I get them for Christmas, so I don't know. Okay, see, there you go. <laughs> my mom gives them to me, and I get them in my stocking. <laughs> I mean, this is the thing, like, essentials that aren't cheap crap would yeah. be nice. Just the basics. Um, I'm not talking, like, you know... I mean, we have a couple of nice clothing boutiques. I'm just talking, like, the basic stuff. Yeah. Yeah, see, that doesn't that doesn't affect me nearly as much as it probably does most uh, female uh, listeners out there. <laughs> we still I'm f- need stores. I'm fine I'm with I'm you. fine with Walmart socks and underwear. I'm pretty sure that's all my underwear and socks come from Walmart. And before they used to come from Herbergers when my mom, when my mom worked at Herbergers. That was a great store. Down. Yeah, which that was a loss. Mm-hmm. Herbergers. But I, of course, I loved that when it was uh, Woolworth. Oh yeah, that was the best. And we had store. Ben Woolworth Franklin uptown. I don't yep. even remember what Ben Franklin sold, but I remember going to Ben Franklin's. They had clothes, and they had, um, I'm trying to, they had, like, a lot of craft stuff. Yeah. Do you remember that? They had all sorts of stuff. It was a funky store. Yeah. And it was big, too. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It's just, I feel like I was talking to a woman in Livingston a couple years ago who's, she was probably in her 80s at the time and had lived in Livingston her whole life. And, you know, Livingston's really changed. Like, it's yeah. such a tourist destination now. And I said, what do you, you know, what do you think about the changes? And she said, it's fine, but I don't have anywhere to buy socks. Well. So it's this, like, you know, you become a different kind of community when you don't have, like, the basic, basic things, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I guess I, guess I never thought about socks. Until <laughs> <laughs> I run out. Then I yell at my wife. Why? That's because your wife's buying them for you. See, that's and that's the problem because Butte is run by men mm-hmm. whose wives are probably buying their damn socks. Well, my mom mostly, but yeah. Okay. Because she's, she's still... I don't think she did this last Christmas, but I think we still had stockings. I'm going to be 49 next week. And I think it was last year when Santa Claus finally stopped bringing stock, oh, socks to that's depressing. I'm sorry. So. Did she tell you he wasn't real? 
<laughs> I, I think I figured that out when I was uh, 43, maybe. I don't know. You know, I had a friend in kindergarten who told me. Really? And I was thinking about it recently, this last Christmas, and she was very poor. And I think the reason she told me is that she probably didn't get anything yeah. from Santa Claus, and so her parents probably told her. Yeah. I realized when I was uh, as a kid, my my cousin lived down with my grandma, and his mom was a single mom, and mm-hmm. she, she lived with my grandparents. And we used, me and my brother used to get all kinds of stuff from Santa Claus at home. And then we'd go down and Santa Claus came to my grandma's house mm-hmm. too. That when he started living there, Zach started living there, we didn't get as much. We got stuff from my grandma for Christmas and mm-hmm. Christmas Eve. But when Santa Claus came, it was, Zach got more than me and my two brothers combined. You know, and because it was a single mom overcompensating. Of course. You know. Of course. And which God bless her for that, you know, we're doing that. So, uh. But uh, we kind of figured it out then. But when my daughter, my youngest daughter, is a little more gullible than the first two. Yeah. And she had a friend who her mom was going to tell her. She didn't even, wasn't even curious, but her mom was going to tell her this year that, that Santa Claus wasn't real. So I put on Facebook, if your daughter tells my daughter yeah. that Santa Claus isn't real, I'm going to have a talk about God with your daughter. Yeah. <laughs> so. yeah. No, it's tough, right? And I don't yeah. know. I mean, I really do think this girl who told me in kindergarten, probably her parents were broke and probably there yeah. was no Santa Claus. Yeah. So they had to tell her. But I don't, yeah, it's a tough one. Yeah, it's a tough one. I don't know. I don't have kids. <laughs> <laughs> I just listen to other people's stories about these things. I can give you one or two. <laughs> nope. nope, I'm good. I got a dog. Yeah, that's like having a kid. It's t- yeah. actually it's tougher in a lot of ways. Kind of, except you can leave them home alone and not worry about it. You know? Yeah, not mine. Not mine. I, my little guy. Yeah, I gotta. I gotta. We gotta have someone watch him when he's home for more than an hour. And then he it's severe depression. You know, it's a, such oh, anxiety with baby. the little guy. Yeah. Yeah. But but before we go, I gotta ask you about the, the Leslie Stahl interview. Being you know the journalist, did you see the reaction to that? I, you know, did you I watch it? I haven't watched the interview yet. I've seen the reaction. Yeah, because I wa- I watched it before I got here. Yeah, it was a Leslie Stella interview. Right. It was. Uh, did you think she was tough on her? I thought she was as tough on her as she was on anybody else. Yeah. You know, she was because uh, Leslie Stahl, she, she'll ask you the question, mm-hmm. and she asked it, and she repeated some of the questions. Mm-hmm. But it, to me, I think it's just it's just this whole, I hate her. You don't. We don't want to see her on TV kind of deal yeah, in a there lot of respect is, um, <clears throat> and she's nuts she's a d- different case because oh, she 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 chased that that kids cake. the kids from parkland down right. to taunt them she she called for shooting people and and stuff but i think she put it out there i think people who watched it mm-hmm. get to see marjorie taylor green for exactly well marjorie you know taylor who Green's. watches 60 minutes it's a yeah. different audience you know yeah. it's a lot of older people yeah that's kind of their sunday yeah. evening program i mean it's not yeah necessarily people who these people who are 100% tuned into politics yeah. all the time and yelling about it it's probably people that work all week and watch a yeah. Sunday news program I don't have a problem with her doing the interview no I, I thought the reaction was complete bullshit yeah because I, I thought you know they're saying she killed her career because I thought it was just like she yeah. would interview anybody and well, I, I and I kind of, you know and I was kind of watching all what here's how they build it up and stuff and I was like what the hell's Leslie Stahl doing and then then I watched it and yeah. like oh she was just being Leslie Stahl the fact is, this woman's a member of Congress. Oh, we haven't even said her name. It's Marjorie Taylor. Yeah, I said it. Talking about you yeah. did. Okay. Yeah. But to Bad me, that's a crazy member of Congress. Yes. To me, it goes back to this thing that we were talking about with local news. Oh. We don't have the the stuff that people used to read on Sunday or get upset yeah. about or get interested in, which is happening in their own community, right? Yeah. We don't have that anymore to the same degree we used to, yeah. and so they're all just laser focused on. 
like Marjorie Taylor Greene, where is she even from? Why do I know more about her than I yeah. know about my own congressman? Yeah. I mean, which we have some doozies of our own. Oh boy, yeah. But I don't know anything about them. So why am I hearing more about this woman who doesn't represent my district than I am about the guys yeah. that represent it? And I, I would I would kill to have her come interview Greg Gianforte. The same yes. style. Same style, you know, because she's not... <clears throat> I remember being a kid when, uh, you know, I think it was when Clinton... Uh, ran against Bush mm -hmm. and uh, Bush was on uh, Larry King mm -hmm. and I remember being pissed Larry King didn't ask me tough questions and then yeah. I was thinking later on Larry King asked him Larry King questions right That's you know right. I had a guy who got on me because I didn't ask Rob O'Neill about this or this or this, you know, and, and I said, well, that's not what I'm doing here. Is my, I'm not You're here not to... You're not doing a politics show. Yeah, I'm doing... Uh, we're getting to know him as a person and, right. and stuff. So Larry King asked Larry King questions, and Leslie Stahl asked Leslie Stahl questions, which were never some tough questions, mm -hmm. and she got mad at Leslie Stahl for asking some of them, and, but it was just... Uh, I think it was worth having because I think, I think if you watched it, you got a sense of who Marjorie Taylor Greene is and yep. what she's all about. Right. And... Just because she didn't say, you're an asshole for being this way, doesn't mean that she didn't point out that she's an asshole. Well, I mean, from the quotes I saw from the interview, I haven't watched it yet, but from yeah. the quotes I saw, she revealed herself as an asshole. Yeah. So yeah, that's, that's kind of what journalism does. That's what she exposed her. And it, so to yeah. me, I was I watched that before we got here, and I was just, man, this, those people are just crazy. And there are people who weren't going to watch. I, like somebody said, I watch it so you don't have to, and they, here's, here's the shit that went on. No, they're you were better off watching it. They're just completely off the rails and if on we, politics. And if we start boycotting 60 minutes, yeah. we're losing. Yep. So, again, why do we know more about national politics yeah. than we know about local politics? Yeah. That doesn't, that's not right. Yeah. You know, and that people get upset about a representative from a different state. Yes, she's crazy. Don't get me yeah. wrong. She's not okay. But why don't we know all this about our own representatives? It yeah. doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah. Which, with that, I'll, I'll invite Jean Forte to come on my podcast. Oh, beautiful. But I'm mm -hmm. going to have at least two bodyguards because he has a <laughs> reputation for not liking journalists. He's a little violent. Yeah, I'm going to have uh, Pat Ryan on one side. Oh, there you go. You'll and, be fine. And uh, maybe Rob O'Neill on the other side. Perfect. They'll take care of me. Perfect. And uh, although Rob, I don't know, Rob goes, he, he leans a little right. Jean he might, Forte, he might yeah. start kicking me That's when it's actually Rob. If you, if you listen to Rob, though, he, he just hates both sides. He he hates one side more than the other, but yeah. he doesn't like either side. So yeah, I think a lot of people feel that way, especially right yeah. now. Yeah, but we're just put together now. It's the short, you know, short Twitter things, short videos, and this is yep. how I identify people yep. instead of getting to know them. Well, you remember just one more thing. You know, I posted this. Someone did this great study this week about economic inequality and life expectancy. That was the whole study, and yeah. it shows there's a 20 year difference in life expectancy from the poorest counties in America to the richest. And no surprise to you, some of the worst affected places are Indian reservations. Yeah. So if you look at this map, it has these red spots with very low life expectancy compared to the average and compared to the rest of the country. And a lot of them are on reservations in the West, right? And I just posted this thing on Twitter and said this isn't politics this is you know deeper than politics because yeah. people were saying oh people in red states you know they vote for their own death yeah. like, do you know how native americans vote yeah. no but we've become so conditioned to thinking about every single thing in this country as a red or a blue issue yeah we've we've lost our minds yeah. like, people can't think clearly about things anymore no they can't and that's what i po i shared something on on uh facebook few months ago where it said something like uh mega is is uh 
fascism for rednecks. Mm-hmm. And I shared it, thought it was funny. Yeah. And then uh, Sean Wetzel, mm-hmm. who's, you know, got Native American uh, heritage, mm-hmm. he, he called bullshit. He said, that's, you know, and then he said, you think about why these people, you know, and I'm like, nah, you know, and then here I am feeling like you're right. This was wrong. I shouldn't, I shouldn't, uh, yeah. I shouldn't have put these people in a box like that because it'd be, we'd be way better off to try to understand why they vote like that. Try to understand and, and maybe get the focus yeah. back to people's communities yeah. rather than everything focused on national politics. Yeah, because that's what we all vote in national politics, and that's right. Yeah. We voted. I mean, look what happened in Montana in the last election, right? Yeah. We don't, we're not independent voters here anymore. Not even close. But anyway, the the book, uh, hopefully people get it out there. It's uh, called, I, I can't think of the full title, but uh, Blood Money is the big it's part. It's called The Story of Life, Death, and Profit Inside America's yeah. Blood Industry. It's very good. It's on, uh, get it on Audible, listen. Yes. Which my podcast is on Audible. Oh, which awesome. I, that's how I did. I went and I got your audio book and I found my podcast. <laughs> I did a search for something and my podcast came up. And I'm like, hey. That's awesome. I didn't know they even knew I was alive. I didn't know they had podcasts on there. I only do books yeah. on there, so I have to yeah. look for it. So, yeah, you can listen to it on there. But uh, the audiobook is great, or if you're old-fashioned, you can... You it's can, at the bookstores here bookstore. in town. So so can, go pick it up. It's uh, it's very good. I, thanks. I was impressed. I knew it would be well-written because I've been reading your, your stories for years. But... Uh, I didn't realize I would be as interested in the subject as I was. It's a weird subject. Because going in, yeah. going in, I honestly, I, it's like, okay, I'm going to yeah. go through this because I know her and I yeah. like her writing I stuff. Got to write it. But, but it, it was, she wrote it. but it was one, it, it didn't, it, it was just, I was through it in no time. Awesome. So, Thank you very well, much. Well, thanks for being, making history here and being guest number, <laughs> for the first person <laughs> to be a guest twice. <laughs> thanks for having me back. All right. I can't wait for number three. <laughs> <laughs> I'm